you're listening to Rock Bottom Radio, broadcasting from deep in the turf net zone. Here's your host, Randy Wilson. Hello, it's time for Rock Bottom Radio, brought to you by Vinyl Guard. Today's topics include the truth behind the GMO controversy. Also, the most important rock bottom tip ever, robot marshals, holographic tea markers, robot bunker rakes, and why did three preachers beat up Buddy? Oh, dadgummit, call an ambulance. I'm dying. What's wrong, Boofer? I got fiberglass splinters in my hand. It's killing me. Somebody help me. Flagpole splinters? Of course they're flagpole splinters. You think I got them from pole vaulting? Didn't I tell you to vinyl guard all the flagpoles last winter? We must have 200 flagpoles. That have taken me all winter long. Yeah, and the reason we have that many is we don't have to throw flag sticks away like we used to before we got vinyl guard. Willie, give me some tweezers. Ludell, order us some more Vinyl Guard. And while you're at it, let's get some of them new hazard poles from Vinyl Guard. You mean them high visibility poles they got out now? Yeah, if they can see them, maybe Cletus and Booth will stop chopping up our hazard stakes with the rough unit. Here, try these. Hey, them ain't tweezers. Them needle-nose pliers. Shut up, Booth, and hold still. <laughs> Bet you used the Vinyl Guard this winter. I think we'll see what Buddy's up to in the shop. Say, aren't you supposed to be grinding reels? Well, ain't you supposed to be mowing? I can't mow if you don't fix it. Never mind. Say, is that a big knot on your head? I got salted. You complained about Mama's biscuits again, didn't you? No, it wasn't Mama that salted me. It's them three fellas in my foursome. Those preachers? You got beat up by preachers, Buddy? Go ahead and laugh. But them fellas are dangerous. You know the tall one? Yeah, the First Baptist preacher. Yeah, well, while we were teeing off, they went on and on about how they ought to tell the congregation how they need to confess their weaknesses. Then he said he'd get things started by confessing his own self. I don't believe I'd do that. He said just between two of us, he's fond of that Tennessee whiskey. And darned if he didn't pull out a flask. You're kidding. Am not neither. Then that pudgy preacher, he pulls out one of these cigars, says he wants to confess that he's enjoying them. Really? Then the preacher that belongs to that church out there on the highway just blurts it out, says I confess. Let me guess, he likes pretty women. No, he says he struggles with gambling. And before you know it, we're playing a $5 Nassau. Still don't explain why they whipped you upside the head. Well, before we teed off, they all looked at me and said, son, don't you have some wickedness to confess? What'd you tell him? Well, I told him the truth. I'm an awful gossip. <laughs> Is this supposed to be the clubhouse? What's with the tar paper shack motif? You couldn't afford a trailer? Big clubhouses aren't worth the investment. Indicates a membership more interested in social status than function. Now, how can I help you? I booked a super discount online tea time for 9.15, so let's pick up the pace there, Jethro. Hey, where are the bag boys? This isn't going to look too good in my review. What's the name? Agassi. Oliver G. Oliver Gagassi? No, no, no. Agassi. How about a free shirt with your logo on it? I wear triple extra large. We got a shower curtain might fit you. Uh, I don't have you listed on the tea sheet. I booked it with golfparasites.com just this morning. Never heard of them. 
you know, we don't use computers here, so... Look, little Abner, I'm a raider for a big golf magazine. Unless you want a goat track rating, you need to wake up. I expect you to cop my round, give me a free shirt, and tell the beer cart girl who I am. Hey, Willie, somebody parked a Jaguar in Mama's spot. It's okay. That's my car. I'm here to review your course. It's not okay. You just don't park in Mama's spot. Why? She gonna have it towed? Not so much towed as dragged. Oh, I don't think she'll tow it. Looks like she gonna use the excavator. What? Hey, that's a British car, right? Better take this fire extinguisher. Okay, time for Skeletal Golf Theory Tips and Tricks at Rock Bottom. Have you ever wondered how to hit maximum efficiency in golf operations? Take mowing tees, for example. Probably the most inefficient thing we do in golf is trying to maintain all these different heights of cut. Think about this. When a riding tee mower is deployed, the operator has to drive to the tee, dismount, move the tee markers and other furniture, remount and mow the tee, dismount again and put the furniture back before remounting and heading to the next tee. And if the mower has them nanny state sensors in the seat, killing the engine whenever the buttocks lose contact, the engine starter has to crank it up again. Starters can be a real problem. Just ask your equipment manager about that. So let's say the course has three tees on each hole that are a significant distance from each other. That's 55 times the starter has to crank the mower on just one day's work. The operator would have to dismount 108 times and remount 108 times. I'll get tired just thinking about it. The most common technique is to send another crew member with the mower, or to have the cup changer move the tea markers and furniture ahead of the mower. Of course, another crew member has to follow behind the mower at some point, while furiously raking bunkers and blowing clippings and changing ball washer fluid, you know, in order to give the appearance of efficient multitasking. One solution could be electric mowers to avoid the starter problem, or maybe just rip the sensors out. But nobody would do that, right? And walk mowers on tees? Well, not exactly max efficiency there. The skeletal golf theory solution is to just mow tees and tee surrounds at the same height. While you're at it, mow the fairways, approaches, green surrounds, and collars too, all with the fairway unit. That's what we do at the Rock. But if you're not a skeletal golf operation, Yet, the only real answer is some kind of robotic laser tee marker or hologram device. It could put different colored dots on the tee, predetermined by a simple computer program to rotate locations by the day of the week. Of course, the money people will jump in with holographic ads out on the fairway. Talk about annoying pop-up ads. Oh, but it'll be fun trying to determine if that fairway bunker is real or a hologram. Laser tech could replace that 150-yard appendage in the middle of the fairway and provide yardage indicators every 10 feet. Solo players could purchase a laser holographic threesome to accompany them. Yeah, just imagine talking with Byron Nelson while Arnie tees off and, uh, and Hogan ignores you. Now, I know some of you have members that want tees at Green's height. Why? So they can putt on the tees while they wait to hit. Right. Trust me, if the budget's so big, a teaser like putting services ain't nobody waiting. They're not hitting off the grass. They're hitting off a tee. They could be swatting the pellet off shag carpet and get the same result. Let's just admit it. All these separate HOC requirements are either insane demands put upon golf by spoiled wackos, or maybe 
Just maybe it's entirely possible we did this to our own selves. Okay, okay, quiet down everyone and I'll straighten this out. You can all have a rain check as long as you don't have paintball marks on your cart. I got paintball marks on my cart. What do they mean? Well, it depends on what color they are. Hey, Willie, Booth's cart's got red paintball hits all over it. What does red paint mean? Means you kept straying off the cart path. How you know that? When nobody around, I'm the marshal. Mama's drone follows the high-risk golfers, and then it shoots her cart. What does blue paint mean? Bubba's cart's covered in blue and orange. Could mean he's a Gator alumni. Poor fella. That's better than being an Ohio State athletic supporter. Speaking of Buckeyes, I bet that coach is nervous. Probably sweating like a pig who knows he's dinner. Uh, let me see. Here it is. Blue paint is for damage to the course. Orange is for not keeping all four wheels on the path around tees and greens. What does purple mean? That drone shot me in my buttocks with a purple paintball. Purple means mama just plain don't like you. We're gonna be stuck in the pro shop all day. Why don't you tell us some stories? I'd rather play cards with that dog than listen to Willie extrapolate on alphabets and robots and grown men using emojis. What's an emoji? It's them little faces that folks put on their socialist media. Hey, Willie, you see that email from Mark Hoban? No, what does he want now? He went to a class on apiaries, and he wants to help us set one up. What's an apiary? Well, I guess it's where they keep apes. Yeah, what if they get loose? I used to play tailback for the Coalinga High Striped Apes. Or was that the Horny Toads? Hey, Ludell, here's an email from Genius Golf Incorporated. They want to buy your robot bunker rake idea. I wager if Ludell ever had an idea, it's because he stole it. You don't know nothing. I've been working on this invention for years. See, robots are taking over everything. They're mowing greens and tees and fairways, even decide when to water. So instead of fighting the trend, I invented a robot bunker rake. Sounds stupid to me. What if it can't get out of the bunker? It's always in the bunker. It's like one of them automatic kitty box machines. The rake rises out of the kitty litter, rakes the stuff, and then it submerges again. Where'd you learn about that? You don't have a cat, do you? Won't be no time for it kill somebody like them autopilot cars. All right, all right, all right. It's stark reality time at Rock Bottom Radio. The lines are open till we get us a call. Let's, uh, let's read some emails. All right, here's one, a superintendent in Utah who wishes to remain anonymous. I don't blame him. He wants to know what is the official rock bottom line on the GMO controversy. Folks, anytime you read a new study, check out who paid for it. Then break down the points of contention. Are they trying to confuse the central point? That's an old technique. I learned it while taking a class in propaganda writing in the military. You know, it really wasn't that different than a class I took at Emory in advertising. Anyway... Whenever one side brings up the idea that maybe genetic modification could have negative secondary and tertiary effects, the other side will start shrieking through tears of outrage about how even cavemen practiced GMO. They were crossbreeding animals for domestication and the like. But they failed to mention that crossbreeding is not the same as gene splicing in the lab. That's how most horror disaster movies begin. 
Some white lab coat twirls a beaker, explains how his new grass will be unkillable. Then we get the evil laughter scene. <laughs> Later, the streets are empty. Well, that was cheerful. Okay, Morty in Alabama asks, have you noticed golfers seem a little more dissatisfied now, a little more uh, ready to complain? Morty, I spend time out there among golfers without them knowing I have superintendent blood in my veins, and I hear what they really think. I also haunt forums where golfers empty their souls. That's how I can predict what will happen in golf. Up-close research is much better than analysis from the Kool-Aid swillers and the perky cheerleader Pollyannas. For instance, a few days ago, I overheard golfers discussing the stimping of fairways at Carnoustie. They actually took it seriously. And then they asked the pro what their common Bermuda fairways might read. One guy I know, a private club member, said maybe walking greens mowers on fairways might help. The media is too focused on page clicks to actually write stories anymore. Due to the USA Today effect, where an in-depth article is 100 words, golfers are susceptible to stories about golf grooming standards written by people who wouldn't know a walking greens mower from a rug shampooer. I've known sports writers who never played a sport. Some travel writer turned architecture expert or an ex-pro suffering from tweeteria can trigger a new demand from your players just with a careless sentence uttered while trying to fill dead air on a dead broadcast. Take Ruff as an example. Rough is important to golfers, mostly for looks because they can't play out of actual rough. And TV created this rough fetish. That's why it's up to golf course operators of the future to create outline rough that looks like rough but doesn't play like rough. 22 years ago, I experimented with fake rough using turf paint, iron applications, and PGRs. It worked okay and fooled most of the players. Well, not the low handicappers, but they don't pay, so I ignored them. But the fake rough allowed me to mow wall to wall at one height of cut. Sand complaints have increased over the years because extra consistent sand is important to golfers. They don't know it's a hazard because we treat sand like greens. I remember Ken Mangum telling me once, uh, he said, members never say a water hazard is too wet, but they think a sand hazard must be better than the fairway. And sand color is important too. If it's not a gust of white, the ball will bury and be difficult to extract. Golfers of today are more delusional than in past years. I have learned through intensive golf forum analysis that an easy course is bad and a tough course is good. The key word is challenging. Now the hacker never breaks 80, but by dog, he wants to play a tough course, not some easy sissy layout. They want Pine Valley. Why? Because Pine Valley is tough. It's number one. But for the majority of golfers, Pine Valley would be like getting into the ring with... Gina Carano. Within seconds, teeth are missing, concussion protocols in effect, and the golfer's screaming, mercy rule, mercy rule, no moss, no moss. You know what I hate about some of them internet forums? They just love to label and divide. And you know what comes after divide, right? Yep. First you label each other, create smaller and smaller tribes, splinter everything into belligerent factions, and that gets us at each other's throats. You know, like walking golfers versus cart riders, carnivores versus vegans, mountain bikers versus road bikers, skiers versus snowboarders. Then you divide everybody a little further. Road bikers into racers versus tourists versus hipster commuters. Techno golfers versus hickory golfers. 
Pitting cultures against one another is the best way for the non-functional folks in charge to deflect attention away from their total incompetence. And I'm not just talking about politicians and bureaucrats, I'm talking about media and academics too. Well, they're not all bad, just a few. Might be true. Remember what Granddaddy Wendell said, fly with the crows, get shot with the crows. You know, we were getting along pretty good until somebody started whipping up resentment again and dredging up old wounds. Next thing you know, we were invading folks and dealing with riots and protests straight out of the 60s. Let's not let them label and divide us, especially by race and generation and culture. We need to look past the political and media theatrics and see what these folks are actually up to. Hello, you reach rock bottom. What's your main malfunction? Yeah, I got a problem. My name is Spalding Bass, and I run Chicken Neck Golf Club. Yeah, that sounds like a problem, all right. You mean his name or because he's running someplace called Chicken Neck? Yo, hush. Listen, Spalding, some of the finest minds in golf operations are right here listening to you, so tell it all, brother, tell it all. Well, I'm sick and tired of these cupcake golfers demanding the special flags that allow them to drive anywhere on the golf course. Most of the time, there's nothing wrong with them. Spalding, this is Cletus. How many of you golfers are flag cheaters? All of them. Well, except for the wounded military guys. They're out there walking with pull carts. Some of them have titanium legs. But you don't hear them whining about special card flags. It just irritates me to no end. Spalding, do you have wet fairways? Not anymore. The doc gave me a prescription for incompetence. No, I was talking about irrigation. This, this is family radio. Oh, then, uh, no. After all the car traffic, they're not really fairways now. They're just mud. I think it's about time to whoop somebody. Shut up, Booth. Spalding, listen here. Just put up a sign at the cash register that says there are no special flags because everybody can drive anywhere they want as long as they stay on the cart path. Then you tell folks that this is all because a select few abuse the special flag rule, and if they ever want to get off the cart path again... They need to throw a blanket party for the flag cheaters. What's a blanket party? Well, that's when you throw a blanket over the gomer in the barracks who's always getting everybody else in trouble. Then you vigorously apply a bar of soap inside a sock. It works real good, too. Since I had my first blanket party, I ain't never put a greens mower in the lake again. Mama swings a mean bar of soap. All right. I appreciate the advice. Oh, one more thing. Is it acceptable to blanket party a golf pro? It won't do much good. They're already so beat down by the membership that they won't hardly notice. Okay, golf people, there's some forward thinking for you. Giant kitty litter bunker egg robots and the arithmetic of T-mowing. Plus, what golfers are actually thinking. Okay, time for one more email. This comment comes from... uh, hmm. Looks like one of them global alphabet think tanks. A bunch of gibberish. Can't hardly read it. Anyway, looks like her name is uh, Mona, and she says she was extremely disappointed you cut out story time last month. Mona suggests you spend less time poking alphabets and more time telling stories. Well, alrighty then. It's story time. Way back in the days before Ultra Dwarf, we had real trouble with bent grass in the Deep South especially with push-up greens on baked red clay. So one day, along comes Pat O'Brien of the USGA, and he tells us the latest thing is to use giant fans on the greens. 
Now, in my mind, I envisioned massive propellers the size of C-130 engines parked near the green. And when I saw my first green fan, I realized I wasn't that far off. Now, because we worked for the cheapest owners in golf history, they made the crew buy their own toilet paper, we never experienced giant fans around the greens. I took the alternative route, the skeletal golf theory way, and uh, I just knocked down thousands and thousands of trees, thus we got our win the natural organic way. Eventually, the ultra dwarf grasses showed up and we planted tiff eagle in 2000. Soon, lots of others were doing the same things and those giant fans hit the unemployment line in huge numbers. Now, about this time, Buddy was having a real problem. His work environment was poorly ventilated and his office was right next to the restroom facility. He took to wearing a bandana over his face all the time and he claimed it helped. But he ended up looking like a stage robber in an old Roy Rogers cowboy movie. Now it's true, the place had a special aroma. The break room was kind of pungent, what with all the microwaving of food made up mostly of corn syrup and pork, and pork rinds, and pork and beans, and greasy pork sandwiches. But anyway, one day Buddy bought a retired giant green fan. He cut a massive hole in the restroom wall and installed the fan. Backwards, of course. When he fired it up, anything not tied down would migrate toward the restroom including any aromas, smells, stinks, and odors emanating from the fermented grass clippings, unwashed armpits, organic exhaust ports, and the distinct bouquet of baked wet feet so common to Gore-Tex boots. Buddy put a lock on the fan switch and told everybody not to touch it. But the fan wasn't strong enough for Buddy, so he paid an electrician to put a more powerful motor on the fan, wired in this 240-volt monster, and he installed louvered panels on the outside, I suppose to limit insect penetration. He said he paid for it out of his own pocket, but I did notice an old gang mower and several tires missing. I said nothing because, you know, at least Buddy was using his initiative. Anyway, one particularly hot day, Buddy was running his superfan, forcing me to use big paperweights to keep stuff on my desk, and I began to hear a strange warbling outside. When I went out there, I could hear, well, it sounded like someone singing through one of those Leslie organs, you know, the one with the rotating speaker that knocks the sound out of phase. It was really odd. Soon I realized it was calling my name. First I was a little scared because, you know, of all the freaky stuff I've witnessed on golf courses, but it got louder as I walked around the back of the shop. The closer I got to the fan vent, the easier it was to hear it. I looked inside the louvers, and there was Buddy, stuck to the other side of the fan like a bug on a windshield. His bandana was caught in the mesh, pinning his head to the protective screen. I told him not to move, just to wait, and I'd run turn the motor off, but first I had to find the key to the switch and, and my camera. That's when that strange voice began saying other kind of stuff, you know, real impolite things. So I went back to my office to finish my paperwork. Buddy escaped later that day when the pressure washer threw the breakers, like it always does, and after that, he took the fan out of the wall and went back to wearing his bandana over his face, only this time he used some kind of lavender perfume on it to smother the various odors, and then the crew took to wanting to hug Buddy a lot. The moral of this story? Sometimes choosing tech over nature just makes things worse. You've been listening to Rock Bottom Radio. 
Broadcasting from deep in the turf net zone. Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for future episodes. 